On today's show, the Atlanta Hawks go into the Christmas holiday with a nice victory over the Detroit Pistons in runaway fashion. The Hawks were not great in the first half on Friday, but the second half was all Atlanta taking care of business and beating a team that was not as good as they are, quite honestly, in this game. We'll have full coverage and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1376 of the Lawson Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Friday evening into Saturday. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. And I also want to encourage you at the top of the podcast to make this show, Locked on Hawks, your first listen each and every day. Check us out across podcast platforms Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Odyssey app, and then also on the YouTube side of things, if you like the video product that we uh, deliver in this space. I will have thoughts at the end of this podcast on the Trey Young, Chris Haynes, Bleacher Report uh, inklings from earlier this week. But before that, and for the most part on this podcast, we're going to dive into what became a very nice win for the Hawks on this Friday evening. The Hawks really were not playing particularly well in the first half against the Detroit Pistons. But by the time this game was over, the Hawks were winning by a final score of 130 to 105. And uh, it was pretty decisive, quite honestly, in the second half of this one. And with the win, the Hawks have now won three out of their last four. They're above up better mark for, this, for the first time in a while now. They're 17-16. They're 11-6 and six at home. And uh, generally, the vibes are pretty good at the end of this one heading into a three-day hiatus for the Hawks with no Christmas Day game this time around. Um, as for the sort of pregame of this one, the Hawks were supposed to win this game just plainly because Detroit's not very good. With this loss, the Pistons have not lost any of their last nine games. They have the worst record in the league. And without cutting him in the mix, Detroit is already uh, behind the eight ball talent-wise. They came into the night 25th in offense, 29th in defense. So had the Hawks lost this game or had it been close, it would not have been the greatest look for the Hawks. But still, it took care of business and won this one in go-away fashion. Um, the Hawks also were at full health for the first time in a while. I, I, I said that was sort of a, uh, an eyebrow raise because during the game, they had two different injuries. But Plicapella was upgraded to questionable coming into the game on Thursday and then ended up playing and playing well. He missed just over a week with that calf strain. And uh, while he actually got some cramps in that calf at the end of this game, uh, fingers crossed, basically all seems to be okay at this point in time. Then Deandre Hunter rolled an ankle during the game and then it came and then came back in. So the Hawks were still kind of at full strength in this game. In fact, they had 16 players available. That's the entire roster. And they had to make two inactive choices. That hardly ever happens. They had Jared Culver and Trent Forrest inactive. And uh, while I will say that that was a little bit weird, it's probably because uh, two-way guys just give me the bottom priority most of the time. So those guys were inactive. Nothing really uh, to get to get into there besides just the fact that uh, by the time this game is over, the Hawks had the third unit in the game, and that was why you didn't see either Culver or Forrest with those guys. Our friends at Bell Online made the Hawks a nine-point favorite in this game. That was actually the Hawks' largest favorite status um, at tip-off since October 23rd, exactly two months ago today. They were favored by 10.5 points against the Hornets, and again, they actually lost at home, but they won this one and they won going away. So we'll get into the game itself now. The Hawks did not play incredibly well in the first half, although it wasn't a disaster either. They actually did not last long with the starting lineup. That's sort of their traditional go back to their normal starting lineup in this game. But Hunter had two fouls in about a minute and a half, so he had to come out of the game. Bogey came in. That's Of course, it's very nice to have a six starter, basically. But Donovich is an overqualified bench piece. And the Hawks did a good job on a few offensive areas early in this game. Collins had a one-on-one in the, uh, sort of in the mid-post for a bucket. 
Clint Capella was really flying around. In fact, defensively, he drew a charge and had a huge block on Jalen Duren in the early, in the first few minutes of his return. He had eight points and before the first timeout in uh, in his first game back, two dunks off of a pick and roll set with Trey Young. Of course, those guys have have country together. It works out very very well. But the Pistons shot the ball well in the early going. They were four six from the from three point range um, at the, the first like five ish minutes of this game, and they held the lead as a result of mostly of that. And the Hawks were down by as many as eight points actually in the first quarter. There was a 7-0 run, personally, by DeJounte Murray, who played well in this game. He had seven points in a row to get the Hawks back in with, back within one and had one of his like sort of trademark steal plus run-out layups in the middle of that spree. Rotationally, it was pretty tight for the Hawks in this game. If you listen to the podcast or if you just watch the game on Wednesday, the Hawks played the entire second half on Wednesday with seven guys. Now, that was no Capella, so you throw him in. The Hawks basically played eight, men, eight guys in this spot. There's one... Uh, exception to that, Justin Holiday played three and a half minutes or so in the first quarter because I think because Hunter was in foul trouble. Because we saw in the second half, they weren't going to do that. I think the Hawks were going to play eight the entire game if Hunter could have come back in at a backup power forward spot. Uh, Jalen Johnson, just spoiler alert here, is out of the rotation, it seems. The last game and a half, he has not played at all. No injury, so it's just a coach's decision, and the Hawks are kind of trimming the rotation down a little bit. But it was Griffin, it was a Kongwu, and then it was uh, Holiday as the backup four in those minutes with Hunter on the bench. He actually had a three late in the, in the first quarter. Justin Holiday did. It was actually his only, his only shot attempt of the game to give the Hawks their first lead, basically, in a long time in the final like minute and a half of the first quarter. And they ended up being down two, though, at the end of the first, despite getting to the rim consistently. 16 points in the paint. They had nine assists and one turnover in the first quarter, but gave up 34 points on 25 possessions. Detroit was red hot shooting-wise, and uh, they definitely cooled off later on in the game. As for the second quarter, they started out with Murray, Griffin, Bogdanovich, Hunter, and Akongwu, so a small group there. That was kind of the uh, indication to me anyway that Jalen was not going to play in this game when they started the second quarter without him. And the defense definitely stiffened up a little bit in the second quarter. They just couldn't make shots on offense. They were 4-12 from the floor and 0-3 from three at the outside of the second quarter. They were still only down by three because de- defensively they got a lot better, and that was kind of a theme throughout the game. They started out poorly defensively. It got a little bit better in the second quarter, then it got much better after halftime. They played the starters last like seven minutes or so of the first half, and uh, although Hunter was limping around with like four minutes to go, they showed it on the replay – he actually very clearly rolled the ankle in a way that I think I was surprised he came back in the game. He seemed to be all right and moving okay, but he was limping around and went right to the locker room. And then they were listing as questionable going into the halftime break. He ended up coming back out, playing a sort of a normal role after halftime. So we'll see if it swells up. But the fact that he came in the game is probably a good sign for Hunter. And they had an, a, a nice 8-0 run late in the first half to go up, actually take the lead again, being uh, they'd been down like, like five or six points at that point. They got, some, they got some stops finally. Collins had a good two-way stretch. Trey had a nice steal. He was sort of getting into the, into the action there in the way that, that Nick McMillan was praising after the game defensively. Capella got some uh, interesting officiating pick-ons at the end of the first quarter. Sorry, end of the first half. He had kind of a brutal charge call, I thought, on him. And then a foul of his that was relatively harmless, got upgraded to a flagrant one, kind of a weird stretch there for Capella. But Trey had some nice drives at the end of the uh, at the end of the first half. But defensively, you know, it wasn't quite what they needed, had sort of what they had to have to get in the halftime break ahead. So they were actually down by three points at the halftime break. And the game they ended up winning by 25. Um, offensively, though, they were very solid before halftime. They just couldn't make threes. They were three or 14 from three. They were 58% on twos, though. They were, getting the, they were getting the paint kind of at will against Detroit. In fact, the only guy who shot better than 33% from three in the first half was Justin Holiday, who was one for one. <laughs> so nobody's making shots. The team was 0 of 7 from three in the second quarter. But even with that, the Hawks had 15 assists and three turnovers in the first half. And that was a theme that continued into the second half. John Murray had 16 points to lead all scores in the first half of this game. Defensively, it was better in the second quarter for sure. It was still not great overall. 
They did force turnovers, but the Pistons were just shooting just a little bit better than the Hawks were from everywhere. And then I thought the point of attack was probably the number one issue defensively. I thought Trey in particular, the first quarter and a half was pretty shaky, even for Trey. Bogey was pretty shaky as well. Griffin had some moments that were not fantastic either. It wasn't just that. The Hawks had some just, you know, Detroit was pretty hot in some ways, but I thought that was a point of contention. That I think, uh, and also they made a tweak after halftime, and they talked about this as well. The Hawks went to a more aggressive defensive scheme after halftime, which definitely ended up working and getting the Hawks a little bit more flying engaged and uh, creating more havoc, which was effective after the break. All right, so we'll dive into a much more fun second half of this one as the Hawks made their big runs in the uh, third quarter and the fourth quarter. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even the states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high can get you a DUI. If you think law enforcement officers can't tell you when you're driving high, you're actually wrong about that as well. Your friends can tell, co-workers can tell, even your parents can tell, everybody can tell. So what makes you think that a law enforcement officer does not know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time, and it can change how you perceive time and speed. So even if you, if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're actually not fine. Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you're going to drive different. Driving high, driving under influence. And remember, driving high can get you a DUI paid for by NHTSA. All right, so the second half was obviously a lot more fun for the Hawks, and uh, the, the number one indication coming out of the gate was DeAndre Henry came back in the game. That was a nice positive thing. I'm not saying he was awesome in this game because he wasn't, but I thought that just as a nice start to the half, uh, a little bit of a scary ankle tweak. He ended up starting the second half and playing normal minutes. But the Hawks started out gangbusters in the second half. 15-3 run to open the half. They, they, they go up by nine points. Trey Young had this vintage long-range pass to John Collins for a dunk. Trey was fantastic in the third quarter. He had seven points and two assists in the first like three or four minutes of, of the third. He had 20 points and 10 assists in the game with eight minutes to go in the third quarter. He didn't play a ton after that, but uh, he was brilliant in this one offensively. Um, there was a one little uh, hiccup by DeJounte Murray having a technical foul in a skirmish with Jaden Ivey. But the Pistons also, to, to uh, talk about defense a little bit after halftime, Detroit had six points in the first five and a half minutes of the second, of the second half. They were two of ten from the floor. A lot of contested looks. The Hawks were definitely contesting shots at a higher level. There was a nice, really nice, pretty high-low pass from Collins to Capella for a dunk that came after Trey got trapped. That's one of those traditional things that's like easier to do in practice and to actually execute. But it was a it was a trap. It was a short roll pass and a dunk, and it was really really well um, delivered by Collins to Capella. And then Trey got going even more. He had a nice no look lob to Collins for a massive dunk, and he scored again. They were up by 11 points. Trey was definitely feeling it at that point in time, as he should have been. It was really a dominant third quarter, a 35 to 18 third quarter. That was the second best quarter of the season numbers wise for the Hawks, a plus 17. Only behind that game at MSG early in the year when they came back from a million down in the second half to win behind DeJounte. Uh, but the Hawks shot 64% from the floor in the third quarter with nine assists. That's an excellent performance, generally speaking. And then Trey also had 17 points and five assists by himself in the third. He was really that good. Uh, by the way, he was highly efficient in this one, basically didn't play in the fourth quarter and still ended up with 26 and 13. Um, they held the Pistons also down 25% from the floor with five turnovers in the third quarter. And uh, honestly, that progression was really good to see defensively from pretty shaky to solid to very, very good after halftime. Uh, I wasn't, again, I wasn't 100% sure this was going to happen again in the second half, but when they went to start the fourth quarter without the um, any deeper end of the bench, they only played eight guys in the second half again until the until the non-competitive portion at the very, very end of the game. They really leaned into that, into that core eight guys. I answered a question earlier this week, actually, on one of our six episodes this week, by the way, very busy, um, about like which like what, what the rotation would look like if they were had everybody healthy. And basically I said there are eight guys who are like their core eight. And we saw in this game, they played those eight guys. And that was with everybody healthy. So 
Everybody else is on the fringe on, on some level. Justin Holiday on the fringe. Jalen Johnson on the fringe. Aaron Holiday on the fringe. Um, they have a core eight that's very obvious right now, and then uh, it'll kind of expand at, uh, around that if they have to, as they as they did in this game with Hunter having some foul trouble. But I think it's very clear at this point if they're all healthy, they have a top eight, and then everybody else. Anyway, start out, let's start out the fourth quarter with a 12-0 run to basically end the game as it was. It was a 47-18 to extended run in the first 15 minutes of the second half. One more time. 47 to 18. That means the Hawks scored 47 points in 15 minutes. That's a ton of scoring uh, in that stretch. The Hawks were 18 of 28 from the floor with 10 assists and two turnovers. That's uh, obviously fantastic. Speaks for itself. The Pistons on the other side of things were five of 26 from the floor with seven turnovers. So that's five points on like 32 possessions, something like that. That uh, Sorry, 10 points on 32 possessions. That's so really bad from the Pistons. So all that said, the Pistons were bad, the Hawks were really good, and the game was basically over at that point. Uh, during the timeout, though, after that run was basically cemented, Capella was questionable to return with that aforementioned right calf cramping. It's the same calf that kept him out of the game the last three games, which is a little bit concerning. Again, Nate McMillan said post game that it's just cramping, that he I doesn't believe that it's serious, but we will see. The Hawks don't have a practice even until Monday, so I doubt we get any more information until then, but just knock on wood if you are out there, if you're a Hawks fan, on all of that. But a little bit low, by as many as 28 points down the stretch. Bogey hit you know, three threes in a row after he missed his first six of the night. Um, not going to be shocked by this necessarily if you've been following along with the Hawks this year. Nate McMillan, not, not the most cautious guy with minutes, and it was notable to me that the Hawks, <laughs> number one, brought Hunter back into the game up 27 in the fourth quarter because he had already come out of the game for injury early on. And they probably could have gone to Joe Johnson or something like that. Um, but even then they kept the starters in until the two and a half minute mark of the fourth quarter up by 25. They finally, after a timeout went to the holidays, plural, uh, Tyrese Martin, Vic Krejci, and, and Craig Kaminsky down the stretch. But uh, a lot of coaches would have pulled the plug earlier. Nate was not going to be in the mood to fool around this one with three days off. And I kind of get that, but it was kind of just a, kind of one of those funny moments at the end of the game. Um, as for like the way this all transpired takeaway wise, I gave some numbers earlier about the big run in the second half, but the full half was also very impressive. It was a 70 to 42 second half for the Hawks plus 28. They were, it's basically as good as they've been for about a year and a half of basketball on the scoreboard. The Pistons shot 30% in the second half. The Hawks were 59%. So that's a huge split on its own, but it was a lot of that pressure from the Hawks defensively, good ball movement offensively, et cetera. Made a 125. Offensive rating, when the core guys finally left the game with two and a half minutes to go, they shot 64% on twos in the game. That's elite. 66 points in the paint. That's also fantastic. They didn't shoot great from three. 35% in the game is just like, eh, kind of okay. But nine of 20, which is 45% in the second half. That's obviously that stands on its own. They had 38, sorry, 30 assists and eight turnovers in the second in the entire game. That is flat out excellent, both in the assists and the turnovers. The Hawks are always good taking care of the ball, which they usually are anyway. But eight turnovers is fantastic, and the 30 assists, uh, even when Trey has about half of them on his own, that's still awesome. Um, they didn't do a ton on the glass, didn't really need to in this game, and then, and then they shot 20 of 24 from the free throw line. That's not a huge number of attempts, but it's totally fine, and then obviously pretty accurate when you make five out of every six of those at the line. They had exactly a 100 defensive rating when the starters exited the game with three minutes to go, and uh, the Pistons just did not make shots after the first quarter of this one. They The one sort of... Um, Black mark, if you want to say that, was uh, 29 free throw attempts allowed to Detroit. But everything else was really good. 17 assists allowed. Good job on the glass. Um, 27% from three for Detroit. Um, points in the paint was uh, hugely in Atlanta's favor. So lots of positives across the board there. And really, after the first quarter, and even like the first, I don't know, eight minutes of the first quarter, 
the Hawks were pretty much dominant the rest of the way. The second half was truly not, not the Hawks can't play better than that. Cause they definitely can, but a combination of Detroit being bad for sure, but the Hawks really putting it into high gear and look, this is not meant to disparage the Pistons, but the Hawks in their current form with general health right now, playing the Pistons without Kate Cunningham and doing it at home on full rest, they should beat the Pistons pretty soundly. But the second half was uh, truly like an A, I won't, maybe, not, maybe not A plus, I'll say A performance from the Hawks. They were excellent after halftime and uh, it showed up on the scoreboard in a big way. All right, we'll get into uh, the player stuff in a second, as we always do on the podcast. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online and the NBA season at the forefront of this podcast, of course. And these things are very busy this time of year as the holidays are approaching. Playing football stuff as well, hockey, soccer, and other action also going on. And the Christmas Day slate is going to be jam packed in the NBA and the NFL in particular. The action never stops. Bet Online is the number one source for wager information that includes stats and news and analysis this season. Get the latest odds and trends for every pro and college league out there at Bet Online. That includes the latest in football and basketball, as well as esports and golf and tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, and much more. Online is also very useful, engaging the latest on the Hawks. Of course, they have the point spread for every game, as well as the over-under and the money line, and also the future stuff on the conference odds, division odds, title odds, individual award stuff, and more. But online is also the fastest and easiest way to get your sports betting fix. And if you're looking for sports podcasts, you can also find those at Bet Online. Check out Bet Online right now on a mobile device or computer. Learn more about all the trends and the action in the sports world. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, and only eight guys really played for the Hawks in this one. Uh, I will uh, breeze past the Aaron Holiday, Tyrese Martin, Vic Krejci, uh, Jalen Johnson, Frank Kaminsky group. They only played three minutes at the end. Justin Holiday only played the first half three minutes. I thought he actually played fine, but it was only a small stretch. Made a three in that stretch, but that was kind of it. Um, as for the guys who actually played minutes, um, AJ Griffin played 21 minutes. He had eight points and four rebounds, two assists and a steal. I thought AJ was like just totally rock solid. Wasn't fantastic, wasn't bad. Plus 12. Did his job. This is only three-point attempt, but, like, good job defensively for the most part from A.J. in this game. Moved the ball effectively and uh, just a solid, like, B-plus kind of game from A.J. Um, Bogey was a little bit weird. I think he missed his first six threes. So, you know, you're almost, like, looking for, like, someone who didn't play particularly well on the Hawks side. I think Bogey and Hunter were probably the options for that. But Bogey, I thought, played fine. He just missed, he just missed a bunch of shots. It's funny. He actually missed his first six. Then he made his next two, and then he misses his last two. But he was only four of seven on like four of seven on twos is actually fine for Bogey, but three of eleven from three. Had 19 points, but took 19, 19 shooting possessions to do that. So pretty inefficient. Had a steal and a block, though. Had two assists. I think his defensive point of attack stuff is still pretty rough at this stage, but I thought Bogey, given that he didn't make shots, was totally fine. Um, Okongu was really good, I thought. I thought Wednesday he had the best game of the, of the season for him. This game wasn't quite on that level. And he did have five fouls in 21 minutes, which is typical Okongu in some ways, but 12 points, nine rebounds, two blocks, two assists, four or five from the floor. I thought he was really good on both ends of the floor. Like, if he keeps playing this, like that, that would be very, very nice for this Hawks team. He's had kind of a down season in terms of, like, what I projected for him coming into the year. But the last week or so, he's been very good, and that's a very positive sign. To the starters, um, again, I thought Hunter was just kind of okay. Obviously, he had the injury, so that's one. That's a clear excuse for that. Nine points on ten shots, uh, five rebounds, only one assist, one steal. Uh, had four fouls in 27 minutes, including the two right away in the game. He wasn't even bad. He just wasn't, like, fantastic. Um, John Collins still can't make a jump shot, but uh, he was 4 of 10 from the floor for eight points, but at 12 rebounds, three assists, three blocks. He was plus 23, a game-best number there. I'm not sure if that was indicative, but I thought he was really good defensively and really good on the glass. He's got to make jump shots at some point. I've said that a few times, but uh, aside from that, I thought he played well in terms of, the, of his overall floor game. Capella was really good in this game, 10 points, 10 rebounds. Two blocks in 25 minutes. Um, that kept an eye on him a little bit on the, on the minute side. Had the cramp pick at the end. But this team is just like 
different with Capella on the floor. That's obviously something I've talked about a lot. So forgive me for repeating myself, but basically, and I also said this today on Twitter before the game started, the Hawks have a two man lineup uh, basically of Collins and Capella has assured them of being good for a long time. It's kind of crazy. Um, it is by far their best two man lineup by the numbers this year. And for all of like the picking apart of what they can and can't do together, the Collins and Capella group, well, those guys play together. The Hawks generally play well and win. So there you go. Um, as for the backcourt, they were both very good in this game. I thought Murray was better in the first half, the second half um, in terms of the numbers, but I thought he played better after halftime, actually. 26 points, five assists, four steals, three rebounds, uh, plus 19. Very just solid across the board. Uh, he was seven of 10 from two, three of eight from three. Uh, it wasn't like he was spectacular outside of that one seminal run that he had individually. That was kind of a big one when the Hawks were losing in the first half, but uh, just a solid B plus kind of game from Murray overall. And then Trey was just brilliant, honestly, um, offensively. 26 points, 13 assists, one turnover. That speaks for itself. Trey was also very efficient in this game. 26 points on 19 shooting possessions is awesome for him. Uh, last four games now for Trey Young, 15 of 33 from three-point range. That is very, very good. Obviously, he had been in a shooting slump for quite some time, and it's not necessarily over as I declare it right now, but a four-game sample where he shoots you know, 40-plus percent from three on big volume is a good, good sign for the future. The ball security was huge from Trey. I think defensively in the first quarter, it was very obvious that Detroit was going to pick on him, and I did that to pretty good effect, actually. He's definitely a weak point a lot of the time at the point of attack defensively. He was more active in the second half. He had two steals, got his nose in there a little bit in the second half. That was good to see from him kind of taking on himself to play better and be more accountable defensively. And again, offensively, he was uh, pretty much flawless in this one. So anyway, that's all that said about this game. Again, the Hawks were really good in this one. It wasn't perfect, but they played a near perfect half for sure. 70 to 42 <laughs> kind of speaks for itself after halftime and a nice way to end the post, sorry, the pre-Christmas run for the Hawks. Last thing on the show, uh, I feel like I feel like I have to talk about this a little bit anyway. Uh, I wrote about it a little bit, by the way, also on my Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash btroll if you want a more full and thorough written thing on this. But Chris Haynes, a Bleacher Report, became the first national voice to kind of flat out write something about Trey Young and a potential trade. It was also very vague on Thursday, which I got into in more depth on my on my written platform on Patreon. And that's also why there was not an emergency podcast yesterday. Uh, people kind of asked me why I, why I wasn't recording about this. Look, uh, it's barely a report, honestly. And that's not because Haynes is not credible. This is not a situation where it was someone on Bleacher Report that's like a nameless, faceless person. Like, they do have people that like just do fake trades there. Chris Haynes is a real reporter. He used to be at ESPN. He was at Yahoo. Like He's on TNT. He's a real reporter. This is not a fake report. I saw people saying that. I wouldn't go that well. I would not go that far. Chris Haynes is credible. But because of what he actually wrote, so if, you, if you go through it, part of like being a person in the media is like parsing what has been reported and kind of what it all means. And the framing is basically that, quote, rival executives, end quote, are talking about how Trey Young could, I want to I say this one more time, could be the next player to request a trade, quote, if a team doesn't make inroads come postseason time, end quote. So this is rival executives speculating that does not make it an actual rumor. This is not a rumor in my mind. Um, also, it's doubly the case where there's also a caveat in there about the team making some sort of postseason run or whatever inroads happens to mean in this case. So lots of ifs. In this one, lots of ores, that kind of stuff. Uh, not, not a lot of concrete. There's also a part in there that I thought should found funny about how Landry Fields has the green light, quote unquote, from ownership to do what's necessary to acquire upgrades. Because I've heard nothing on, different on the tax front. I don't think the Hawks are going to be going into tax anytime soon this season. It's possible, I guess, that there's a change of heart from ownership on the spending front, but uh, I would say it's unlikely. And for example, the Hawks just played a few games basically down two big men because 
And they could have signed someone in the front court for just for some depth, but they don't want to because of the luxury tax. In fact, I was the one that asked Landry Fields about that in preseason at media day. And he, he was very candid with me about how the Hawks were keeping the 15th roster spot open for luxury tax flexibility. So anyway, that definitely matters. Anyway, from there, uh, at this point, I think Trey Young's local approval rating is probably as low as it's been in a while. He obviously played much better tonight, which is good to see. I, but I am seeing, generally speaking, more fan pushback on Trey this year. I'm sure it's anecdotal on some level too, but he's, and he's not played as well as he did last year individually. And the team hasn't been winning a ton. I'm sure that's all mixed in together. But regardless, Trey's not going to get traded unless he wants to get traded. I'll say that right now. One more time. Trey's not going to get traded unless he almost demands to be traded, basically. That could change, I guess, in the future, but not anytime soon, I don't think. And I think that moment is not going to come, <laughs> um, honestly. I, th- I think if Trey leaves, uh, it'll be because he wants to and engineers that because um, stars have that power in the NBA. So obviously I've talked about it on some level as I just did at the end of this podcast when, when a real reporter like Chris Haynes writes something about Trey Young getting traded or something like that. But for me, this is not one to panic over at this stage. There's also some fresh column stuff on Mark Stein out there, but it was basically nothing new either. So uh, as far as the trade stuff, we are in a holding pattern. The deadline's still you know a month and a half away. So we'll have much more on this stuff in the future. But for now, I got multiple questions from people about like how much does that how much should we panic about Trey? And the trade stuff, I would say not at all right now. Uh, in the future, sure. Uh, maybe that's possible down the line. But I think that, again, he's going to have to ask out. And I don't think there's any reason why, why he's going to be believing to do that right now. Because he's got, he has a lot of power in Atlanta. He's got the whole setup pretty well um, for himself. He wanted to play with Jante. He's still playing with Jante. This is a good basketball team when everybody's healthy. And, uh, you know, the city likes him. All that, all that stuff. So, um, long story short, not a huge deal. And I think, one more time, I did not do an emergency podcast because I don't think that's that big of a deal, which is why I'm talking about this at the end of a podcast on a Friday evening before Christmas. All right, from here, the Hawks have three full days off, and then uh, they will be back on the court on Tuesday. They actually have two full two full days off. No practice on Saturday or Sunday, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Uh, I'm going to follow that, actually, taking a couple of days off on this podcast as well. The next game is Tuesday against the Pacers on the road. That's the first night of a back-to-back with travel, by the way. The Hawks play on Wednesday at home against Brooklyn. That's a tough game. The Nuts right now okay, just don't lose anymore, apparently. So that's uh, something to note. In fact, I'm looking now to see if the Nets won tonight. Um, yeah, they did. So the Nets, I think, have won eight games in a row. They are uh, rolling at the moment. But if something crazy happens, I will, will definitely respond in podcast form Saturday, Sunday, whenever, as fast as possible. But this is a six-show week on the podcast. I'm not planning to do a show until at least Monday or Tuesday of next week. So stay tuned for all of that stuff with, with our full um, breakdowns in the offing with, with Christmas and travel and all that stuff. Not going to be diving in unless there's something to dive in about. So we'll see how that, all that goes. Uh, we definitely want to wish you Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody that's listening to this podcast or watching it on YouTube. Thank you very much for listening and checking out the show. As always, please spread the word about the podcast to your friends. Also check out my written content, patreon.com slash BT Please subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Odyssey app, Google Play, as well as on YouTube, and even do it on more than one platform. If you want to help out the podcast in the best possible way, please follow the show on Twitter at Lots on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland, and I'll see you all next week.